0: Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Blassengame, and I am your host. And I am here today with the wonderful, amazing producer, Christiana Kimmich. Hello. And we are on episode 46 after the episode reviewing Carrie and Noah, and their episodes were 44 and 45. Yep. Great episodes.
1: Yep. You got it right. Got it right. Ooh. Noah's forty four and Carrie's forty five. Can't even believe the word?
0: I know that's starting crazy. to get close
1: to fifty. That's that's just crazy. Oh my god! I know, and that's not even like the correct amount of episodes that we've done, right? Because, because of your point fives. Yeah, my point fives. <laughs> my point fives. I know. I tried. I'm learning. Hey, producer, learning it. curve. I love it. I, I kind of oh. liked them when we first started, and then when the format shifted, it was like, oh. What am I supposed to do with the point fives? I don't I know. Like we it. just keep going. I, I like it. I get it. I get it. I got the 0.5s. It made, it made sense at the time. <laughs> but then we can't do 8.5 and 9.5 and 10.5 mixed in <laughs> together. But we also had a couple bonus episodes, and bonus episodes don't number themselves. So I, I don't know what our full episode count is. Okay, we're going to have to count now. Yeah, we'll have to do that. I know we did it in our season one wrap-up, which is like top five of all time episodes. I got to re-listen really to awesome. To I have to re-listen I to know. It. Apparently it was a hit. I, I think people enjoyed listening to all the mistakes that I made along the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they wanted to say our, our uh, our, sha- our
1: what is it, our love shack? Our, yeah, our foam shack. Foam shack, foam shack. <laughs> and somewhere on my computer, I don't know because I had to switch computers because my other one was going to the graveyard I have a clip of Ashley and Bayan, who is our Director of Admissions at Lion Rock Recovery and Episode 2. And they're waiting for me to do a sound check. A sound check. Oh my goodness. A sound check. I'm like mixing it together. They're waiting for me to do a sound check and they start singing Foam Shack. That's where it came from. I, I forgot who said it first. One of you two coined the term first, and then I'm checking the sound, and then all of a sudden they just start singing because we have our shack. heads
0: in a foam shack. I <laughs> <100%. laughs> little microphones in the shack, and the I shouldn't laugh because the setup now is not as groovy as I miss our our
1: fancy booth. <laughs> I know it's hard to not be together and doing these. There's just something like awesome and electric with, you know, being with somebody in the podcasting booth. I know. It's hard. Quarantine, man. Oh my not God. So I'm fun. so over
0: it. I don't even know how many weeks it's been, but I'm so I know that everybody's over it. But
1: yeah. I know there are some people that are doing well. My best friend has an hour and a half commute to work one way. And I asked her how she was doing yesterday. We were able to catch up and she's like, I'm great. I don't want this to end <laughs> because she has a zero commute. So she's gotten back three hours of her life, you know, on a daily basis. Oh, so yeah. That's huge. She's pumped. I mean, I think the thing is
0: that like uh, Dak and I always talk about that where we talk about how like if it were just us, like we would do projects, we would do like, oh my gosh, if it were just us, we would do so much stuff. There'd be so much, Everything. It would be amazing. In fact, I'm that would be totally fine with me. Being locked in the house with small children who need like unending exercise and attention, that is some sort of medieval torture. <laughs>
1: I cannot imagine right now. I'm I'm passing a lot of neighbors who are outside, you know, they're taking their kids for a walk multiple times a day. I was hearing this kid scream and so I I run to the window just to make sure everything's okay. And it's just a bunch of neighbor kids who are six feet apart. But like we have, um, where I live, we're like townhomes kind of facing each other like in a row. And so our garages face each other too, you know, on the other end. And so there's all these kids that are running and playing on the blacktop behind the garages and just, you know, they've got to get their energy out. So I was like, scream away, do what you got to do. I, I cannot even imagine being a parent oh right now. Oh my gosh. It's so intense. It's so
0: intense. And this it, what's hard with them being three is that they know that something is going on. They know something's not right. And we've explained to them like there are cooties going around, there are, you know, germs, and like we don't want you to get sick. Like we've explained that much, but they still don't really understand what what's going on, and they don't understand the stress and they don't understand the added. So they're having behavioral changes and which is understandable because we're probably having behavioral changes. And there's no explanation as to why we can't go do all the things that we used to do and why we can't go see the farm animals that we always, you know, it's like all the stuff that we, all the stuff that we go to do and even going like hiking on the trails or different things. So it's, it's a weird, I mean, it's a weird time for everybody. It's, it's, Yeah. I was complaining about, you know, just all of it, and a friend of mine is organizing a food drive for families that are hungry in our, our area.
1: Oh, that's and, wonderful!
0: Yeah, and she, the amount of families that contacted her that were going that were going hungry, and they were like, "Oh, can you get a? Is there any way to get food sooner?" And it literally, like, it just put it all into perspective for me, and it just broke my heart. I mean, we I sent over there she was like, we're, we're collecting cereal. So I bought as much cereal. You can't buy anything in bulk anymore. Like you're limited to the net amount of, of things you can buy. So, but um, yeah, the amount of people she was say, telling me that they're giving out the stuff on Wednesday and people were like, is there any way we can get it sooner? And I just, my heart broke, you know, it's like people are struggling and, and um, you know, as much as I like to complain about my particular
1: <laughs> right situation, which is hard. Yeah. It
0: puts it into perspective. I, yeah. I just was like, oh God, I can't even, I can't even imagine.
1: God, I remember what it was like to go hungry at a certain time of my life. We had just taken my little sister in, my husband and I, and we, I had been laid off. It was that whole economic downturn back in, what was it? 2000. I had just gotten married. So it was 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. And Eight. Yeah oh my gosh, I just remember a McDonald's McChicken sandwich was like a good dinner for us. And then if we were having a really good day, we'd get a McFlurry. Yeah, that was ever since then, like it's kind of, that's been a big thing for me to always feed people around me and make sure that people like my family, my friends around me, anything I can do to make sure they're fed. I might not be able to pay your bills, but I can feed you 100% feed you. So yeah, I can't say that I mean, the only time I've
0: ever gone hungry is when I was using, but it wasn't, it wasn't that I, it wasn't like I couldn't call my family and say, feed me. (laughs) Right. I'm (laughs) hungry. Right. I just chose not to. I made the decision not to because I was using so, you know, different, but yeah, I, I feel, I definitely feel blessed. And I think it's really important in this time to dig deep about what matters and, like <laughs> i've been thinking a lot about like what i want my life to look like you know what what i want to design like how i want to design and create my life going forward and and what matters what's most important what's going to matter in 5 years 10 years and what i find interesting is that the things that matter are not the things I'm thinking about regularly. And the things I'm thinking about regularly don't matter in five years. And I find that to be interesting. Like I'm using a lot of headspace on things that honestly don't really matter and not putting it towards things I actually care about more. So I've been thinking a lot about that. And and, uh, one of those things is the tremendous amount of like digging deep and finding that gratitude for, you know, Circumstance, my circumstance, my my situation, my recovery. Because I have to tell you, I mean, not to sound Debbie Downer, but people are dying. Like people, sober people are killing themselves. They're relapsing. They're overdosing, and I'm watching it. I mean, people I know, and the people are so like the people with mental illness and and uh, major depression. My friends who really struggle with depression are in a bad way and i mean i i had a conversation last week where i said are you suicidal so i think i think we've really gotten to this place that illustrates how important community and connection is like i think that's what the i think i think in some ways that's what this has shown us is that the most important thing is that we're connected to one another
1: yeah agreed I 100% agree and I think what you're saying I have a few friends who struggle with with pretty bad depression as well and they've there's been a violent up you know not violence on their part but just a violent up and then downturn in their emotions and how quickly their emotions have been rolling and what I've appreciated about them sharing on social media is the fact that I can kind of see, like, sometimes you don't get those alarm bells when someone's in trouble and everyone's sharing during this time. And, and so I think people are, you know, not afraid to post what they're going through. And, and so that's been a good, you know, alarm bell for us to reach out. Yeah, exactly. And say like, Hey, how are you doing? And, and it's helped me. I usually, I get stuck in, um, like busyville. Like I'm so busy All the time, I always have something to do, and I hear my family even saying that, like, "Oh, sorry to call you. I know you're really busy. I didn't want to bug you because I know you're really busy." And, and I was like, "Gosh, I'm always busy. It's it's never going to end. Work is never like you're never going to feel like you might feel like you got your stuff done for the day, but it's not going to end, especially in the line of work that we're in." And. It opened my eyes because I have a friend who her... Unfortunately, her uncle passed away, not related to COVID, but it's still unfortunate that he passed away. And um, she'd had like a really strong feeling two days before to give him a call and ignored it because she was busy and was like, I have a lot going on. She's a musician. She's a recording artist. And so she was literally like getting ready to release a new single on Friday that just came out. And uh, he passed away on Saturday. And she was like... I you know had good reason to be busy cuz I had my single coming out but like I ignored that feeling that gut feeling to reach out and so what that opened my eyes to was especially not to be like afraid right and go like anticipating doom to happen but just like stopping and really taking the time in your day to like sit still for a moment and like right like reevaluate what's important and be like first of all be I know we talk about this a lot you don't have to sit and stew in gratitude, but like just really recognizing what you're grateful for and then remembering to reach out. Remembering to reach out because somebody might honestly need it so badly that day. And I get to the end of my day and I'm tired. I've talked to a lot of people. I've done a lot of thinking and creating and I'm just exhausted and I feel like I don't have anything else to give anyone. And while... It is so good to take that time to rest and take that mental space to rest. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It, I'm not saying give out of what you don't have, but I think what I'm also learning is to not be afraid to just pick up the phone and like connect. I don't have to like connect with my family or friends and be like giving them something. I can just be like, hey, I just wanted to call and say I love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hi. It, it's not that really doesn't require that much. There are people that will kind of drain you, but- I like to call them know. emotional vampires. Oh, Lord. Yes. <laughs> those those aren't fun phone calls, but I think, I don't know, I, I've definitely been seeing the the importance of just a check-in. Hi, I love you. And then the people who do it to me too, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so loved. And Taken care of, you know, and and so I've really appreciated that so much more during this time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean to sound like a Calif- the California hippie that I am, but the I really think this is a time where the plant like the planet is healing, and in in a lot of different ways that the virus, in some ways, is forcing so many things to slow down, and 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 a lot forcing people to you know shit or get off the pot like really forcing people to look at what's going on with them the problem is that it's also very destabilizing and so when you you know in order to do a lot of deep work there requires some amount of destabilization because the stabilization in and of itself is the infected diseased piece of it right you've stabilized with you've stabilized with a system that is no longer working so you have to destabilize in order to rebuild it but there's risk and destabilization. And, you know, I think for me, I learned a huge lesson last year over the summer when I came really close to picking up a drink. And what I had done was built a really beautiful life that was very stable, that propped all the things up so that I basically didn't come in contact or didn't need to worry about those things because I was insulated from it. But what I failed to recognize was that a destabilization scenario, a full destabilization scenario, I was not emotionally grounded enough to survive that. I mean, I did survive it, so I shouldn't say that, but I was not emotionally stable enough to move through that in a way that I would have liked. So I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing is this like destabilization. What happens when you take away your work, which is your identity, your, you know, all these different things that become your, your kids at school, they go to XYZ school, you're the soccer mom, and you go to the soccer games, or, you know, like whatever it is, we're taking away all those things and kind of bringing it back down to basics of like food (laughs) and connection with other people. And it's really made me think about where i prioritize that connection am i prioritizing that connection and you know I'm, I've, i i've i actually i did a a um, press tour last week and i talked a bit about this but basically that you know connection is a choice and i hear a lot of people talking about how disconnected they feel and it's easy to do that and to play into that but I can be disconnected in a room full of people. I can feel no connection. I can feel alone as I ever am in a room full of people. In, in a vulnerable moment, I can still feel alone, which means that I can feel connected, not in a room full of people on a phone call, you know, whatever. I can create connection. And it's just been really hitting me that I need to nurture that connection, those connections more and differently than I do yeah what does that look like to you being more present like being more present I suffer from like that crazy busy thing too with school that really makes things complicated but I'm also very distracted regularly and I see that and uh, I think that one of the things i'm I've thought about and it's it's you know whatever not not to not to say that I can't do it but it's hard for me to not be distracted. Like I'm in my head a lot. And if connection and being with other people is the most important thing, like it's all we have, right? Like, I mean, literally there's a global pandemic and all we have is each, like that's whether you're a hospital worker, whether you're, you know, in a, in a food bank, like whatever it is, my, I'm locked in a house with my family, like literally, is, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's it. That's all there is. So if that's what life is about, like if that is what all there is, then all this time that I spend connecting to other things, which I do, a lot of books and, you know, entertainment or or, or whatever it is or work, if I'm distracted during the t- the times, that quality time, then I am not nurturing the most important thing in my life. And I sort of was like, okay, okay. Like it was for me a reminder, like, I think I, I've i always known that, that at the end of the day, it's about your relationships, but this has really highlighted that for me. So what that means is just being present for my kids, for my husband, asking more questions, trying to be interested in what they're interested in. Oh
1: Lord, I'm trying. And the three major interests. <laughs>
0: The three neighbor entered. <laughs> the husband interest, the all of the interests. Yeah. There's oh all of it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just just being more being more um preoccupied with connecting to other people than I am accomplishing things, which is more my nature.
1: Mm, I totally understand that. I am you and I are so similar in that way, where our birthdays are pretty close together too. And oh my gosh, I my brain is always going on what my next project is what the next creative thing is how can i make it bigger better and not like t- it's honestly to not even impress anyone it's it's i'm in competition with myself how can i make this better i want to make this i just want to be better better and yep. and like it's just innate and it like it doesn't yes. turn off ever and so i know what you're saying because even i'll be sitting and like watching TV with my husband at the end of the day. And, you know, we're just unwinding. And to me, unwinding is having the TV on, but also I'm on my phone and I've got my computer open Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at that. And then I'm cross-referencing it with what's on my phone, but I'm still able to hold a conversation with my husband. This is very relaxing Exactly. and answer questions on what's going on in the TV. And I'm planning my next thing and Mm -hmm. making my list for the next day. And he'll look at me sometimes and be like, Hey, can you just like turn your phone off and like be here? And it's gotten me upset because I'm like, I'm here with you. What do you mean? Like, what else do you want? I'm sitting next to you. i mean, to hold your hand. And like, <laughs> it's funny because I'm not like snappy with people, but I've gotten snappier since being in quarantine because I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't be to- like, I don't want to be told what to do. Like, oh, I'll yeah. follow rules, but I don't want to be told what to do. I don't know how that works, but it's just somehow that's just, that's me. And, and so I realized I was like, oh my God. Gosh, like he's just asking for me to be present. But that and
0: that's your when you said, "Oh, but I am here. I am present. I know exactly what you mean." But if we're being honest, it's so uncomfortable to do those if if you were to remove those other things. And I think you fa- I think we all face a lot of something that we have worked around, which is that we're not interested in the same things. He's watching something, you know, like you come up against, you come up against this, like, oh, well, I don't want to watch this, or I'm not interested in talking about that. Like things that you could otherwise sort of gloss over if you were half, if your brain is working in a different direction, because being present is hard.
1: It's so funny that you say that because I've really been doing a lot of kind of like soul searching in this time and like, okay, why do I react this way or why is this making me frustrated and because I don't get super frustrated really easily like it actually takes a lot for me and so I'm like why am I reacting this way what's my issue you know and I could I could gloss it over and say it's quarantine it's hard for everybody which it is there's an extra level and layer of stress but I've been like okay no like let me be really honest with myself otherwise I'm gonna come out of this with the same issues that I came into it with and what I realized was there's just some like, Everyone has like some sort of past trauma, right? And so I was realizing that mine specifically was with connecting with people, trusting people, not wanting to trust people still. And on like such a deep, I mean, this is like deep layer stuff. And I was like, whoa, I thought I took care of that and apparently I didn't because I'm pushing him away. what I realize I'm pushing him away. I don't want you to get too close to me. This is my husband of 13 years. Like it's like I, I he kind of knows everything about me, you know. I'm not and it was because I, I realized it was connected with like not wanting to be like left. I realized it was connected with abandonment. I don't want you to get close to me because people have left me whenever I've gotten close to them, and I don't want it to happen again. So I'm going to take you, person who's never left me before and never given me any sign that you ever would, and I'm going to still push you away. And I was like, whoa, wh- like why? Because, because go back to square one, which is that
0: issue, you can kind of almost hide it when things are normal, you're going to work, everybody's in, he's going to work, everybody, you know, there's more space, like everybody's in their normal, you know, milieu, but now you've been destabilized. And so this is, this is one of those things I talked about this when my, my boys were born, which was, I thought I had dealt with, you know, some serious trauma and like all of a sudden it was back and I had done all this work on it and it was back, but I destabilized, right? I destabilized. I I, I changed the whole premise of what was happening. And so quarantine, not quarantine, but COVID, all of it, everything that's gone on, whether, you know, all of the actions have changed the whole premise of what's going on. And so for, for your trauma to come back because it's a new situation makes complete sense to me
1: mm, that that is true and then the food scarcity was another thing and oh, it's yeah. just it's it's really oh, interesting yeah. what's kicked up you know and like what's been felt and it's like whoa hold on a second like Like just the exercise of having to wake up every day and be like, you know what? I trust that my needs are going to be taken care of. And it might look different than what I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, but my needs are going to be taken care of. And then going back to the food thing with, you know, your friend helping to put a food drive together for hungry and needy families, which is just beautiful. Maybe we can include a link if anybody wants Mm -hmm. to like donate to that. That'd Mm -hmm. be amazing. You know, it's just realizing, okay, I'm. Yeah, I still have a job. I, I still am able to provide for my family. So let me reach out, and even if it's for one person, let me reach out. And remember, take that feeling of remembering what that felt like, and like put an action to that, and that's going to help me out so much. You know, it's going to help them, and it's also going to help me kind of walk this out and get this out of my right. body. Right. So like giving back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's no not forgetting
0: to do that. You know, there's no manual f- for. You know, mental health during a global pandemic, right? I mean, there's lots of Huffington Post blog articles, but you know, (laughs) the seven top things to do, (laughs) right? Like, you know, and and they're all very obvious. Obvious. They wanted me to write one, and I was like, I am not going to write the seven top obvious things to do because the truth is, everybody (laughs) knows what we're supposed. to... We all know what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, it's not rocket science. But I think it's a headspace, like it's how do you change the thought patterns and how do you, you know, <laughs> how do you think differently about what's happening and not go into that place of like, is the world end? Like, what's happening here? Like, should mm-hmm. I? How? I think so, I think a lot of it is like, how concerned should I be? Like, right? How how worried should I be? And then and then like the little kids piece and like, oh God, what did I do? Did I bring did i you know bring kids into this really just not okay world yeah so it's a it's a crazy time and it's a i think a lot of people are using alcohol and food to get through it which i uh, isn't un- completely understandable but if you're a sober alcoholic it is brutal it is brutal there's because we really rely on those techniques to uh, the techniques of like getting out and connection and all these things in order to maintain our sobriety. And, you know, I, I feel for the people who've never opened up the meditation path because I've been using that a lot and like, and breath control and things like that. Um, exercise we bought, (laughs) we bought a Peloton. Oh,
1: is that good? Do you like it?
0: Oh yeah. I love
1: it. I, I just have to Say that my husband and I were laughing about the irony of how much backlash the Peloton company oh, I got. I know after that commercial, which I didn't, I mean, I kind of laughed at the memes and stuff, but I was like, I don't see anything wrong with it necessarily. And then all of a sudden, everyone's buying a Peloton. I was like, Peloton for the win. <laughs> I mean, they so have had a
0: windfall, they're backed up seven weeks. Yeah, they did a yeah, 7 weeks for delivery. Whoa. Minimum. Um, I was thinking of buying one, so now I won't because so but what they did was they offered these payment plans with no interest if you pay it like, you know, by the date. So there's a payment plan that's like 4 years or something that's 58 bucks a month. Yeah, no interest. Oh my interest. gosh. Yeah, so like basically they made it doable to to buy that and since, you know, we don't have a any gym memberships going on? So right,
1: um, it's smart, it's, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you get the connection piece with that. Mm-hmm.
0: So we've Pelotop been doing, yeah. So I have like a little group, and um, my husband's gotten into it like an insane person. Just talk about alcoholically. Oh my god, <laughs> he's he's ridden every single day, and sometimes twice a day since we've had it. Like honey, so
1: Dak's coming out of mm-hmm. of quarantine. Mm-hmm. With the yep. quarantine bod, like we're all hoping to have, and oh yeah, done and yet. he he rides for like he rides like
0: one time for fifteen minutes, and he literally loses weight. It makes me want to kill him. And like,
1: yeah. like it's I'm like, a Whoa. guy thing. Yeah,
0: he's like, oh, I just lost four pounds. I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> I've been riding it, and I just gained weight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm like, why am I gaining weight on the peloton? And so we muscle. C- Keep gaining muscle.
1: Yeah, no.
0: So it's uh we have like a little group going and we send each other our workouts and stuff. So that's been cool.
1: Oh, that's amazing. My husband's found running again cuz he's an incredible runner. Oh my gosh, he's it's effortless for him. He'll just well, I'm just going to go 10 miles today and I'm like like it like it's oh nothing. Oh uh, yeah, like incredible. And he's like, "Oh, I kind of like walked the last mile." I'm like I, you know, I used to do triathlons like 8 years ago. And I, I, what did I get up to? I don't remember my running time, but I remember when I cut one minute off my running time, I was like, I'm amazing. I'm amazing because running is so not natural for me. It is so difficult for me that I killed it on the swimming and the biking, especially the biking. I don't know what it was about biking, but I got it like that was effortless almost. And then the running, I, oh God, it it was painful, like very very embarrassing i did a uh, an
0: olympic triathlon in 2008 in hawaii i only did it because it was in, my friends were like do you want to do this and we had to raise money for um lymphoma leukemia society and they told me it was in hawaii so i just said yes <laughs> like i didn't even know what we were doing and like meanwhile you had to raise six thousand dollars and yeah. Oh. It was no joke. Okay, that's leg- not a
1: small task.
0: No, no, no. I legitimately, I legitimately was like, yeah, sure. But it was like, <laughs> there was this guy, there was this hill in, this was in Maui, and there was this hill that I literally was like, I was crying and I had to walk my bike up it because I was going backwards. Like I was <laughs> riding up and going backwards because that's how steep this hill was. <laughs> And the people who were like winning the triathlon, which is apparently is a thing. I didn't even know the point was to win. I was just trying to survive. The people who were winning the triathlon, they had lapped me. So I'm walking my bike up this hill, like, like you're not gonna oh. defeat me. I'm swearing at the hill, whatever. And like the winner, swearing at the hill. The <laughs> winner of this race is lapping me, literally, like biking his ass up this hill unbelievable i i have n- i could not tell you how long or what time i could not have cared less about the time <laughs> i my only goal <laughs> was to finish aka survive only goal that is it and i crossed that finish line and lit up a cigarette and was like, here we go, Sunny. Oh, man. But
1: here, I'd like to point out that, first of all, the triathlons I was doing were sprint triathlons. So Mm -hmm. an Olympic triathlon is... It was a
0: mile swim. It was a 25-mile bike ride and it was a 10K.
1: Okay, right. So the ones that I were doing was a 5K, a 10-mile bike ride, 10 or 12-mile bike ride, it depended on where it was. And then I don't remember how long the swim was. But it was not Olympic. Olympic is gnarly and no joke. And you finished it. Did you train beforehand? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. You did. Train. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. I, did I was train. like, oh God, if you walked into that with no training, I don't know how you finished. But hey, like the fact that you even finished that is incredible. Like that's a huge accomplishment. So wait, I was 20, I was 20
0: or 21. And the. And I did train. Um, I trained with the Lymphoma and Leukemia Society because they had like a whole. There was a whole group, and we all did it together. And when we were swimming, so they do it by age group. The like sixty and seventy year olds in this in the water because we swam a mile in the ocean, mind you. Um, oh my
1: God! And Hawaii's ocean is yeah, super it was warm. choppy. It was super warm, oh. but it was choppy. Oh. Um,
0: but and I and I uh, trained in a pool.
1: so (laughs) little different
0: anyway there i just i'll never forget swimming and looking over and you know of course obviously thinking like okay am i going to survive this is this how it ends like you know okay what right like like what kind of moron signs up for this did i actually pay money (laughs) to do this um and i look over and there's a woman she's got to be in her 70s and she is pulling past me in a way where it was like not gonna happen like she fully pulling, like absolutely beating me people in their sixties and seventies. And I was 20 years old, like I'm going to die. And I was in decent shape too, but not like that. It's the
1: triathlon shape is a whole different type of shape. I don't, it's something that I stopped doing only. I think what happened? Oh, I got in a car accident. So I had to stop everything. And then I just never went back to it just cuz I was like, oh my god, it took me a while to get to the kind of shape that I needed to be in to actually like enjoy it. And I was like, no, I'll just focus on dance. <laughs> 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 that was
0: exhausting. That was exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I I enjoyed it. Oh wait, okay. Maybe we should do oh, one. We should. A Lion Rock one. What okay, did I wait just sign up for? Yeah, yeah, be careful what you say cuz I'll get it into my head and then it'll happen. Oh, before since we cannot manage to keep a topic in our head right now cuz we're both delirious. Yeah. I want to read an email from Carrie. Oh,
1: yes, this is so good. Okay, so this is Carrie Andre episode 45 just came out this week. Yep. Okay. So she
0: wrote this email that I thought I wanted to share with The listeners says, hi, ladies. I hope you're all holding up well in the never-ending social distancing world. My family seems to be surviving it. It would be my dream to stay home for months. However, the homeschooling three kids and, well, three kids in general stuck with me is throwing a wrench in that plan. I wanted to follow up and say thanks again. I've had some serious anxiety since our interview, mostly because talking about myself for almost two hours is not anything that I am used to. I admit I freaked a little when I looked down and saw one hour and 44 minutes and blanked out toward the end there. I didn't even get to tell you about our wonderful detox facilities and nurses having to chase my drunken father down the street after he jumped out a fifth story window to escape for a cigarette. So many hilarious and terrifying adventures. That had me thinking about one question at the end, the question of what does my life look like now? I never did get that far in the initial email about my story or really in the podcast. The realization about sobriety came from a situation evident in my life every day. I believe what I said in my very first email to you is that I never realized the power of sobriety until then. I realize the power of sobriety every day if I reflect on it. The good situations and bad situations in life can both put an addict in danger of relapse. During the most stressful in times in my life... I keep up with counseling multiple times a month. I keep physically active and have a great community of support. I do not miss my monthly massage appointments and I don't feel guilty about it anymore. It is part of my personal self care. I keep aware of my mental health and take antidepressants and sleep aids to make sure my crazy brain gets some rest. I read and research everything I can about mental health and addiction because it is so interesting. I design and install vehicle wraps for a living so I get art therapy, see my art projects come to life every day, and feel a sense of accomplishment. Everyone has a different recovery story, and it evolves every day we stay sober, and I am so thankful to be on that path. When I think of my life now and how it looks, I sometimes forget I'm in recovery because my recovery is built into my every day by the self-care. Maybe that is the most important thing I have ever followed through with in my recovery, choosing to care about myself and force the guilt of that out of my broken brain. Michael and I are raising the kids together and we are lucky enough to be able to give the kids a great example of co-parenting with their fathers. That is something we get to brag about and we forget that. While I probably muddled my way through the podcast, it was a great exercise in gratitude. It was a good reminder for me to remember how far I have come in five years. Thanks again for all you guys do for the recovery community.
1: Best, Carrie. She's so amazing. I'm so glad that she wrote in that this is our favorite part whenever we get to hear the feedback, not only from our listeners, but from our guests who come on and the journey that they end up going through or going on just by sharing their story. And for Carrie, this is the first time she's ever shared her story publicly on like a media venue or outlet. Yeah. I think it's really
0: interesting how therapeutic the experiences for the guests. Um that was not something I expected. Uh I definitely did not expect to have so many guests have a really cathartic emotional roller coaster reaction to telling their stories. I was not I did not expect that. But I think what I love about what Carrie said and what I you know the One of the biggest reasons I wanted to read that was that I forget that I'm in recovery because it's built into my everyday life and I don't feel guilty about my self-care. You know, for the people who are listening, who want to stay sober, that is, that's your gold. That's your key. That's the, that's the secret is if you build it into your life, like for real, it's built into the foundation of your life and you force yourself in some way shape or form to find a way not to feel guilty about the self-care you will stay sober if you build it into your life if you do not build it into your life it's unlikely that it'll sustain over a long period of time
1: this is the most incredible thing that i've been able to see from coming from a background that i'm not in substance abuse recovery is seeing what happens whenever you put recovery first what that looks like building that into your life, and what the results are specifically. Because if you do not have a substance use disorder, you do not have to do this, right? There's, It's not life-threatening for you to not do this. And so stuff comes out whenever you have a situation like COVID, where you have people who are not in substance abuse recovery or haven't discovered that they have a substance use disorder, until their foundation gets uh, shaken until, just like you said, the destabilization. And then you realize what you're honestly leaning on, what your coping skills are. It lays everything bare. And the thing that I so respect about the recovery community is the fact that this is what you guys are doing every single dang day. And you know how to go back no matter how hard it is, right? But you have your community, you know how to go back and reevaluate. And it's consistent and constant for you. And it's something that people who are not in recovery or have never experienced it before, we can learn from that. And we can take that note and apply it to our lives because substance use disorder or not we all need recovery we we're most everyone is in recovery from something and these are life skills that should be applied and i say should because i've worked with so many different people and my favorite people i've ever worked with are people in recovery because you have these tools and these things that you're holding yourself to and there is such an innate difference between someone who's in recovery and someone who's not, because there's a standard that they're holding their lives mm, to. That's consistently, yeah. no right. matter what. No, you're it right. doesn't mean perfection, you no. know. And no one, no one can attain that. But it is, there is It a is standard. a breath. There is, and it's a breath of fresh air. It is an absolute breath, breath of fresh air. It makes you guys like you make me a better person. Mm. It's it, no, really, like I've just because you are who you are too, but. I've just learned so much and applied these things to my life. And through the trauma that I've gone through as well, it has made me grow and made me reevaluate things and made me have the courage to reevaluate it because it's hard to look at your past. And it's also hard to look at the just yucky things that are in your soul. It's really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Like, I know this pandemic is really hard for everybody. And it's so, so difficult for people who are in recovery right now because that community, that in-person physical community has been taken away. But if there's ever a time to like really connect and like look look at what's going on and like look at like the signs, like look at the things that are coming up inside you, this this is it.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, I think it's funny. It's a testament. I think the work and the standards are a testament to how unpleasant it is to be drinking and using against your will. Like the focus and the necessity are reflective. The desire to be better are reflective of the, you know, cellular memory of what it feels like to be in the cycle of addiction. And that's what you see is you see a group of people who are like anything but that, anything. I'll take anything but this. Please don't break take me back there. And please don't take everything away from me. And it's uh it's like, you know, it's like the ability to to take a pill and become a completely different person and have no idea what that person is going to do to your life pretending to be you. You know, you just have no clue. And so, cause I'm not the same person when I'm loaded. And so what I would do to my family, what I would do to my everything, you know, so, so theoretically, like I would, I mean, I don't think it would happen quite like this, but theoretically I could pick up a drink, drink that drink. I'd be a different person, but I'd be in the same body and I could re- take my life down in a week. And so the, this idea that I have to build recovery into my life and, I have to do those things. And the standard is there has become so ingrained in me that I almost don't know anything different. And I'm always, it's always funny to me when I interact with people who that like personal growth is not a part of their life. Isn't it horrifying? It's just very strange to me. It's very strange. Um, I find them to be often to be very accomplished people very intelligent, very, I find, I, I come across a lot of them at, uh, in business school and, uh, and they, they're incredibly competent and confident. They, their energy is put into achievement and career goals. And this idea of kind of developing and looking inward is not a, it's not a thing they do, but you know, I'm not sure I, I, well, maybe, but I'm not sure I would have done it had I not been forced to do it. I mean, let's, you know, I always feel a little bit guilty when people are like, the recovery community is so amazing because I'm thinking to myself, like, we get all these kudos for doing what we were supposed to do in the first place. But, you know, yes, I think that it's uh, it's definitely, these are skills that anyone can use in their life. Like if you build habits, you build things into your life and you put that positivity and those standards first, you'll be amazed with what with, with what comes through.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, you, you said you guys get kudos for doing stuff that you should have done beforehand. But I, I think that while well, part of that's true, because I've laughed hilariously at the stories and and then cried too, you know, with some of the stories where it's like, and I had to learn how to pay my taxes mm-hmm. and make my bed on a daily mm-hmm. basis. And I was like, oh, thinking back to like, well, I would have gotten like whooped if I didn't make my bed in the morning, you know, just thinking back to all these things that I'm like, oh, I, you know, I, I was taught that or I, I do do that. The thing that society does not hold you to necessarily is personal growth. And you can't have recovery without that, right? But then you do have people that white knuckle it, the people that are, you know, the dry drunks, you know, they're sober, but they are just so unhappy. They're abstinent. They're abstinent. That's the, that's the correct abstinent. word for yeah. it. They're abstinent. And you,
0: they, they don't drink.
1: And you know what? There's not really anything that comes from that except for you're not drinking your life away. I mean, which is a good thing. I think, you know, I don't think there's anything
0: wrong with being abstinent. I think that, y- I think it's unpleasant. I've been there and it's unpleasant and typically for you and everyone around you, and it could just be so much better. You know, there's so much more that's there. And the reality is that when you take away the alcohol, you're still left with an alcoholic. Right. right. So, right. I mean, al- I always say like alcoholism is a shitty word for the problem that we're dealing with because it assumes that alcohol is required. And oh, that's good. I mean, th- theoretically, the answer is yes, but alcoholism is the is what is going on in your brain that you know brings you to your knees because you have to. Ingest mind altering things because you, in, somewhere in your head, you think that's somewhere in your head, it has been programmed that that's the only way that you can survive. So you remove the substance, you remove a f- food from a food addict or a compulsive eater, and you still have a compulsive eater. You have mm-hmm. the brain of a compulsive eater. You don't need the substance to have the problem. And so I think that so when you talk about people who are abstinent, all you've done is taken away the solution, right? The coping mechanism, the the anesthesia, and given nothing in its place. To me, I'd rather drink. Yeah, it sounds pretty miserable. I'd I'd <laughs> rather drink. This this is not my, and I'm not built like that. I'm not built. I'm not a. I can't white knuckle it for very long. That's just not. Me, I know a lot of people who can, but I I can't. So I think it's important to find the ways to build recovery, whatever it is, like whether if it's codependency, if it's, you know, trauma, if it's perfectionism, if it's hoarding, if it's alcohol, drugs, sex, love, elderly parents, I don't know, whatever it is, build in your recovery your your self care what you're going to do for yourself into the fabric of your life and that will save you in moments of real destability real you know destabilization like we're having right now and and the fact that i have a whole community of people in recovery i have you know, access to podcasts, I recovery podcasts. I have access to, I married someone in recovery. I have access to online meetings. All of that stuff was set up for me. I had set up and worked and built before COVID, right? So the idea is you build all the things, you build the whole life and it works for you even when other things fall apart because you had it not you don't just build it when things are bad. You build it when things are good. You you stick to your recovery when things are good because when things are bad, that's not the time you want to be building it. That's the time you want to be leaning on it.
1: Right. You need to have that foundation. You need to have that foundation and and everything the else built on top. of infrastructure. Yeah. So that you can utilize it whenever you actually whenever the storm actually comes exactly know, and it stays put. Exactly. You want, you, it's, you know, if you have a, you don't want to be building your
0: storm shelter as the storm is coming, right? Like you build it when the weather's good. (laughs) You, you put that thing together when there's no storm and make sure, you know, and do the upkeep and whatever. And then when the storm comes, right, you have it, it's already there. So you know what to do. You've already gone through how, you know, what to do, blah, blah, blah. So it's really the same, you know, concept, which is, build your infrastructure and your life while things are good so that you can lean on it and you can take out, you know, you can use that insurance in order to stay sober because that's kind of what we're talking about. And really, I think a lot of people, and I, again, I'm no, you know, I am not immune to this. I've had this experience. They don't build the infrastructure and then things go south and they try to build it then. They try to have you know connection or reach out or get the sponsor or whatever it is, and not that you shouldn't do that. You should, but it's so much better when you do it when you don't have to.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny because I was telling I was telling somebody that you know I they said you know what's the one thing that like you're kind of experiencing right now, and I said, you know, my faith had really been shaken by this, and it made me. It might have been you I was talking to, and and. I said I'm reevaluating everything that I've believed in. I'm reevaluating where my trust has been, what what I actually believe, and it's just it's forced me to, you know. It's it, whenever you feel like, okay, hey, these are your coping skills, this is what you've relied upon, this is where your faith has been, and then all of a sudden you're you know you're shaken. Where is it falling back into place? You know, where are my foundations? And and I realized my foundations weren't as strong as I thought that they were. Right. You know, I I hadn't done the work to build it in the places where I needed to build it. And in some I had, I was actually, I was like, wow, okay, I've really come far in this one area. And then in another, area, I hadn't. And so luckily I have all these amazing tools that I've learned from you. (laughs) And I've been able to just like kind of start all over again in the areas where I felt like they fell down. And, it's been really amazing. Not instant at all, you know. <laughs> I've definitely gone through my days where I'm like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to see the news anymore. I've had to turn it off, you know. I mean, weekends, but, you know, we've been sleeping more. Like our clinical director sent out an email, like, "Hey guys." you know, be like a sloth and (laughs) rest this weekend. And I loved that. So I was like, oh, you know, it was like just being told it's okay to like, there's so many things going around on social media that I agree with where it's like, you know, make use of this time, you know, just like we were talking about, make use of the time um, and looking internally, seeing what pops up. But also, I think it is important to not like try and outdo yourself, you know, the self-care aspect as it's a stressful time. Take some extra time to rest as well, and that's okay. But that's a belief system that you have that taking
0: time to rest is not doing something, is not taking advantage, right? And so it comes back to that. It comes back to changing that belief system, which is that that taking time to rest, meditate, what watch TV, relax, and have fun and be recreational. That that's doing something and being productive. And when you can. When you can change your mindset to that, those things become enjoyable because you don't feel like you're doing something naughty,
1: totally. That's what I did feel that way. I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh my gosh, I'm being lazy.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm being
1: lazy, and I'm not using my time wisely. Right. so imagine
0: if that imagine if when you were watching that TV or whatever it was that was t- that was that was giving you joy and bringing you a, you know, a good time, imagine if that registered as productivity. I like this. I like it a lot. <laughs> if that register yeah, exactly. If I if that registers as something productive, like you're doing something that you're supposed to be doing because it's part of what you do, then it no longer becomes that difficulty. It no longer and so it's those types of things are about reshaping, reframing. Like I used to be unable. I could not read fiction books because I felt like I felt like I that I had lost so much time being loaded and that it was a waste of time. And that I could be using that time to read nonfiction books and learning something. And so I, I really couldn't do it. And so it was like constantly reading biographies and like history and different, you know, sci- like to the point. And, and so, you know, I worked with a therapist. who was like, you, you've made, I would, if I read a fiction book it was like the guilt was too, too much. Like it wasn't fun. And so I had to actually reshape that to using my imagination and having a good time is productive because somewhere, somewhere I picked up this idea that that wasn't the
1: case. Wow. That's actually kind of amazing. That's, that's, that's a good example. And just reevaluating, I think what's, what helps you rest and what's giving you, what does my husband always tell me? He says, you need to take the things out of your life that are not giving you life and not feeding life into mm-hmm. you. And that doesn't mean not being disciplined or doing stuff that's totally. not fun, like school work. Ugh, I can't wait till I get back into school. I'm saying that from a grateful heart. Um, <laughs> I, <use those> things. <laughs> I don't want to write that essay ever again. So it, it's not, you know, it's not trying to live a life that's full of play. It's just establishing those priorities and understanding what's in your life that is going to give you something back and that's going to give life to you rather than take it drain it from you. And I thought that was a really cool yeah. thing to think about. And it's actually helped me kind of reevaluate some things too. So,
0: one of the most profound things that my sponsor ever said to me that I think is super funny to this day because it's such a I don't know, obvious maybe concept that blew my mind. Blew my mind. She told me that life is meant to be fun and that i that i should do things that are enjoyable only do things that bring me joy and are enjoyable and that life is meant to be fun and i thought that you grind 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 and then you get some sort of like then you arrive somewhere and you're rewarded for your hard work and your grinding and that's where the joy is so like you suffered i believed Truly, and I think a lot of people do believe this, I, I did, that you must suffer, that's part of it, in order to have joy. And that if you're not suffering, you're not headed for joy because you're not working hard enough or whatever it is. And she said to me, and it was like something clicked, like it was like, if you're not, life is meant to be enjoyed, you don't have to suffer to get to the joy You have to be, have experienced joy to get to the joy. And she said to me, why don't you try not doing things you don't like? If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. And it was profound to me because I realized how much of my life I really believed like you just work until you, you know, can't work any harder. And then the joy is coming. The joy is coming the joy is coming right and uh when i stopped to realize that the whole point was to have a good time and enjoy it like that's the whole point connection have a good time that my perspective on like the and my ability to enjoy those off times those downtimes that weren't quote unquote productive really changed
1: that's so funny cuz i'm realizing as you were talking i was like oh my god i lived about half my life doing the same thing too, where I was like, I, anything, I shouldn't say anything because I did, you know, anything dance and music made me so happy and I didn't push those away all the time, but they were never a priority to the point where once I got out of college and I stopped studying musical theater where it was like, okay, that's my job, right? I'm supposed to do well here. I was like, okay, I need to find a job. And everything that I went towards and gravitated towards too was just super hard work, putting in the hours. And I had to have different times where like when the economy crashed and I was like, what am I like? What do I like? What do I doing? like?
0: What do I like yeah. doing?
1: That Not is, what did somebody else tell mm-hmm. me what I liked, too, because yes. that was another part, too. It was like, yep. I had a lot of people speaking into my life at a certain mm-hmm. time, and they were telling me what it should look like, mm-hmm. what it should, and and then also what it should look like. Okay, well, I wanted to do this. I wanted to be in ministry. Well, that looks like this, and you should do this. And so I started doing it, and I started kind of like, almost like making myself real small in order to live up to this big thing people were telling me, and I was... Absolutely miserable to the point where I like broke down in one of my jobs and I I almost had like an out of body experience. It was so funny. It was like I had someone ask me for a piece of paper and I handed it to them, or it was it was a file we were working on and and I handed it to her and I was like, I snapped. Like I just it was almost like I couldn't stop myself from saying it. I was like, Do you know that there are things that I love to do that I'm not doing right now? And she was like, Oh. I'm sorry. And I was like, I like to sing and dance and make music and I'm not doing any of these and I can do that stuff. And I'm bawling. And she's like, Oh no, I think you should do it. Like she's mortified. Right. She's like, "I I think you should, I think you should do it. And I was like, there's no way I can't, you know, I'm like, I'm just lost. And like, I, it actually took something kind of extreme. I think it was like two years later where I was like, I'm quitting everything mm-hmm. and I'm dancing and like made no money. And, you know, but but it sent me on a journey to find what I loved finally. And then even to the point where I realized like, I, this sounds so shallow, but it really has like come along with my journey. It, it's, a, it's just a huge long story. But to the point where I was like, I don't like these clothes. And so I worked super hard. And like one piece by one piece, replaced what I didn't like and donated the rest, and it was just like, this is what I like. Cause my closet was full of clothes that someone else had told me, this is what you need to wear. This is what you need to wear. This is, this is, again, this sounds so shallow without describing no, everything. No, sh- it doesn't sound shallow at all. But I just realized I had become something for someone else and for over a very long period of time and and had like completely lost who I was in the minutia of the day-to-day. And whenever I felt like I started actually like coming back to the surface and like reconnecting with like, oh my gosh, I feel present in my body. Like Michelle Murphy in episode 34 is like, and I wasn't in my body and I wasn't in my body. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like for years to just feel like you're floating somewhere like dissociate. You're just, yep. Yes. And you're just living life, but you're not super connected and Mm -hmm. there's not really quality in your relationships going through the motions. And all of a sudden it was little, like, Things I didn't think mattered, which was like, I like those jeans. Mm-hmm. I will now get those jeans, and I don't like those jeans, so I will not wear those jeans. like just stupid stuff like that, where it was like, but it's I not it's, myself. It's not
0: stupid, and I think the biggest uh, it's not stupid because every piece of you that you continue to honor. And that you recognize whether it's a piece of article of clothing doesn't matter. It's the fact that you're recognizing what you like and your needs and your desires and and going in on it. It's almost like the the substance, the clothing doesn't matter. It's a it's a symptom of an identity. And I think what's really interesting, and I, I suffer from this too, is we get we take so many different opinions and ideas and we morph them, right? We absorb an idea, you know, people, you know, like you should be X and then we absorb it, make it our own. And now it's our belief, right? And you go with that and you do it for 10 years and then you're like, wait, why am I doing this? And then I think what's really interesting, what I see a lot and I relate to is that, that you can take those things away, but the person, we still don't know what we want we still don't know what we like. That was what you said. We still don't know what we like. And that is a very difficult thing. That's something that I dealt with a lot in sobriety. And I'm dealing with that again after, you know, having kids and kind of being in this new lifestyle with my MBA and school and podcasts and all that stuff, which is in work and which is like, what do I like now? like I'm not the same person, you know, I, I, maybe you would have asked me years ago, it was said live music and, you know, doing <laughs> all these things, right? Like <laughs> things that I have zero desire to do anymore. And so now what do I like? And I, I don't really know, like some things, I mean, I like, but what do I, you know, and I, I it was, my husband and I were talking about, we were going through this conversation, but I think what's important, what the the important part of this whole point is that when you take on all these other things that you think you should do or be or other people's opinions or how they want your life to look, not only do you take on their view, but you don't develop your own. So even if you shed what they've given you or what you've taken on, you still have to do the work to figure out what it is you want. And that's the scary part because once you shed it, then you're left with you have no idea, and then you're and then it's easier to just take back whatever you had before, whatever ideas or whatever path you had before from other people that was pre molded. It's easier to take that back because you weren't actually hiding some deep desired plan; you just had never considered what you wanted or liked. Many of us, and so the easy part is to just fall back into it. And I think that uh, with recovery with regard to getting sober that is huge because you don't do anything other than use drugs and alcohol in for recreation everything you do is about that and so you don't know if you like going to the movies because that involves drinking you don't know if you like like it was all about the drinking it was all about that and i mean for me especially because i was non-functioning it was all about that. So I really didn't know what I didn't, I wasn't even sure what music I liked because, you know, I'd gone on fish tour (laughs) and listened to hippie music and, you know, did all this stuff, but like, it was, it was like a whole drug culture. So I didn't know if I liked the drug culture or like when I liked the music, it reminded me of the drugs or if I liked the music, like I had no idea what I liked. And so, yeah, at all. At all, I was like, "Do I like this music? I think I like this music. It makes me think of drugs. Is that bad? Does that mean I like the music? Like, just like completely, <laughs> I felt so lost. And were you a fishhead? I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, I was kind of like whatever. I mean, yes, I liked fish, but like I was kind of. But I love Metallica way more, and you know, like I was kind of whatever I needed to be. And or at that time, and that's what I needed to be. So yeah, I liked it. But like, was it me? Was, is that me? You know, or, or when I was super rockabilly and punk rock and like, was that me? I'm not really that punk rock. I mean, every now and again, I have a moment, but like, that's not really me. So like, what do I like? What do I like? That is, that is something that I encourage people to ask themselves because I think We all take on a lot, and we'd be surprised how much of that is manufactured from other people.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. That's that's a really it's it's very empowering, and I love that you said it's a symptom of uh, what did you exactly say? Gosh, I can't quote you very well today. You said it's a symptom of something else. So the take away the clothing, right? Like the clothing Mm -hmm. aspect of it, it's a symptom of of your identity. You are, Mm -hmm. yeah, and there's. There's honestly been nothing more empowering than just really being able to say, no, I don't care what you say. This is who I am, what I like, and what makes up the components of me as a unique person. It's, it's very amazing. Yeah. Like when I was
0: like, I don't care what you like, I'm going to wear
1: sports bras. <laughs> 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 I'm empowered and underwire hurts. Well, um, that's okay. And you would fit in with the dance studio just perfectly because that's all everybody (laughs) wears around there whenever they're in, whenever they're open.
0: Yeah. It's just, I mean, some of it's getting older too, where you just like, I'm like, heels hurt. (laughs) There I I said it,
1: (laughs) you know, I don't do heels anymore,
0: but yeah, I mean, some of it's, I think just like age related, but, but yeah, I, I think it's fun too. Like I have to, I have to, for me, I have to really ref- reframe things like, ooh, I get to rediscover who I am. I get to do self introspection. I get to. You know these things like I, I don't have to. I get to, and when because I can get real negative and uh, <laughs> real, real fast into like what I have to do. And oh, if I were normal person, I would get to do X, Y, Z. And the reality is like I get to do a lot. Of, I get to do a lot of cool introspection and feel a lot, probably a lot more joy than people who don't have alcoholism.
1: That is a hundred percent correct because. You are being forced to face it, mm-hmm. and it's something that many people will not do unless they are forced to. Right, and so unless a situation that's usually unfortunate comes up where a quote unquote normie has to face themselves, then they're not going to do the work because yeah. there's nothing because it, it hurts. It's human nature. <laughs> it hurts, and it's human nature to just get be yeah. comfortable. You who doesn't want to be comfortable? I a hundred percent want to be. But I mean, I'm wearing Uggs, what, so. You're wearing Uggs right now. I'm a feet are cold. I want to wear my Uggs. Yeah, I like my being comfortable. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sweating in my I, in my homemade and, podcast oh booth. My God. I love your homemade. <laughs> well, we didn't talk about Noah's episode. What were your thoughts on his? Because his was pretty juicy.
0: I thought he did a wonderful job. I think he's an amazing guy. I love his story of you know finding soul cycle and using that as a vehicle no pun intended to <laughs> to ride his way into recovery i love when people find something that they're passionate about that helps them get to the next place of their healing and that they find like that thing that just drives them you know just turns them on and he found that and he's if you saw him like when I saw him in meetings and stuff and you told me he's going to end up being a soul cycle fitness instructor. Cause I knew him, you know, before he had lost all the weight that would have not, I would have not, I would have believed that that was not a obvious choice. So um, I just think that's so
1: cool. And it just, the fact that he's gotten to inspire so many people through it. Like he totally. literally has a cult following in New York city mm-hmm. whenever it's, Open yeah, and not you know yeah. unfortunately because yeah. I know, COVID, right? but he's so well loved. You know, it's really yeah. cool. He's yeah. really inspirational to a lot of people. Yeah, he's a really fun guy, and
0: uh, he's got a lot of valuable experience and knowledge and and wisdom. And I think that I think that it's really cool that he goes out into these scenarios that have nothing to do with recovery, like Soul Cycle. That's like a you know, it thing, and he gets to give back and make people, you know, in 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 12-step, we talk about attraction rather than promotion, right? And it's this idea that we go out and live really great lives in the world and we speak well and say things that make people wonder if we're Yoda um, when really it's 12-step lingo. and uh, <laughs> And that attracts people. They want to know more about us right? What are you doing? What What do you got going on? And, uh, and so he goes into the soul cycle world and it's all for him. It was attraction rather than promotion. He's inspiring people with the stuff that he's learned, which is rooted in recovery. And he gets to do that in a way that's not overt. And I dig mm-hmm. that. I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, that is really amazing. And, we're really thankful that he took the time. You know, he's on lockdown right now. New York City is being hit the hardest. Oh yeah. Um, and it was just at the beginning of lockdown. Actually, I think we interviewed him the first or second week, and he was waiting to hear back on whether or not Soul Cycle was going to be open. Or you know, we obviously yeah. we know now that it's closed. But um, we're really thankful that he took the time to speak to to you know everyone, and um, he has his own really neat podcast too, where he, oh yeah, i here to help. He's interviewed amazing people and so we were really thankful he took the time to come on yeah super cool fun fact his mother was trained by martha graham who huge in the dance Dance world world, yeah martha graham is the the mother of modern dance and uh he i think what did he say first time i talked with him for his prep call he said his mom had him, came back to class with Martha Graham, and then Martha Graham took him as, I think he was one because he was walking and used him as an improv exercise. So he she put him in the middle of the room and made the modern dancers improv to whatever he was doing movement-wise as a baby, oh, as a kid, funny. just kind of meandering around. Oh my so, gosh,
0: that's so modern dance.
1: Right? It's so modern dance. Anyone it's who's so a dancer who's dance. been around I, I and could, a dancer,
0: laugh. I could not. I could not do. I went to Brant Lake Dance Center in uh, upstate New York when I was 14, 15. And, uh, you know, all the Alvin Ailey uh, Mm -hmm. ABT teachers came up and taught. And I just remember the, like, we had to take, we took so, like, crazy amount of dance classes. And Mm -hmm. we had, I think there was, like, one modern dance you had to take. And I just was, like, modern dance, every sarcastic like defiant nature and bone in my body was like you want me to act like an egg <laughs> you want be an egg like like i just yep. everything about it like modern dance everything about it was like felt wrong to me like <laughs> i just was like i can't do this send be me back to ballet so i can look like a, a an ogre trying to do ballet like just send- Oh okay. <laughs> yeah because all the all the like ball- oh i was God. a i was a jazz dancer so all of the uh all of the ballerinas were you know ballerinas and oh yeah and i took you know ballet to improve my dance but it, that was not my main thing and so i just remember like if you've ever danced in a room with real ballerinas I don't care yeah. how graceful you are; you look like an ogre because you do. They're so grace. They're so graceful, they're like swans moving. It is
1: ballet is one of the gnarliest things you will ever do. Oh my if god! You ever attempt to take a ballet class? and It's you're not so a dancer, violent. It's so. It vi- is.
0: It's like a so violent, hard. Sport. It's a. Like, it is like the muscle, the 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 grit, the the. Uh, there's I don't know, there's something so like intense, so intense about it. And the teachers, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I was like, listen, buddy, this isn't gonna be my career, and I'm not <laughs> like I'm not a I'm not a ballerina,
1: relax. I think I liked it because there's so many things you have to think about at one time. You, know, you have to Tuck under your hips. You have you don't suck in. You just have to stand up straight, shoulders back, pushing down onto your shoulders. Your thumb has to be here. Your fingers have to mm-hmm. be here, but you can't have monster hands. You know you have to be <laughs> pulling up while pushing down. It's like mm-hmm. this opposite thing that's in you're like, how everything's in the heck on fire? Am I? Sure that, enough, yeah, it, that
0: makes sense. They were at Pilates. We'll bring you, we'll bring you, bring it
1: to your knees. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, do we have anything else to go over with our lovely listeners who, if you've made it this far, congratulations. Congratulations. You're officially in the quarantine box with Mm -hmm. us and we appreciate you and you're awesome. (laughs) No, just want to say stay safe out there and hang
0: in. I hope everybody is doing okay and please feel free to reach out to podcast at lionrockrecovery.com and we're going to put links to the organization we talked about for food for families and anything else we talked about which I don't recall at the moment we'll put some links in the show notes
1: and if you don't know about modern dance and (laughs) you'd like to see a video of it, we will insert one of those for you as well because that could be a great quarantine activity is improv.
0: Yes. Very, very good. Very good quarantine activity.
1: Yep. Yeah. It'll keep yourself busy for for a while. Actually, I could put some stuff out because I used to do improv classes. So if anyone would like some improv homework, then I can send them out to you. Oh, boy. Enjoy with the whole family. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> oh, oh, I love you. We will right, talk you to too. you guys soon. Next episode coming out next week. Ooh, going to be a good one. We always say that, but it's going to be. What if one
0: time really we're up. like, it's going to suck.
1: <laughs> I wonder if people would listen to it more because they'd be like, we're ready to hear a train. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should. Well, I just can't say that because our guests are so though. awesome. Yeah. No, I know. We love all of our guests. They're phenomenal. Cool. All right. Have a great rest of your week. We'll catch you on the other side. Bye.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800-258-6550 Or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information.